Welcome to Running on Purpose, a weekly podcast dedicated to training the body, the mind, and the soul for what the race requires. My name is Steve Sisson, and I will be your host. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Running on Purpose. I'm here with Kristen. Hey, Kristen. Yo. And we're, uh, we're going to rant a little. We're going to talk about responsibility. We're going to talk about expectations. And we're going to rant a little bit. In, as a side note, we're ranting not only about experiences we've had with athletes, but also the experience that we have ourselves and dealing with ourselves. So here, I think some of you might feel like we're coming right at you. And if you like that. If you think we're talking to you, we are. <laughs> exactly. Is that creepy? Believe me, in, my, um, in the training group that I coach online, very frequently, my athletes are telling me, I thought you were speaking directly to me. Mm. I can only hope that the, all of our listeners are thinking that we're speaking directly to them, especially when we rant. But it seems people like to hear me rant. So we're giving the people what they want this week. Giving them the Sisson rant. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. So what's we initially were going to have this episode be about expectations and how we felt like many people... Um, ourselves included, really sometimes have unreasonable expectations and how by framing expectations correctly and appropriately, uh, better experiences can be had both in training and racing. But as we had those discussions, we began to realize we really needed to get a little bit more clear on what we mean by responsibility because that's actually a prerequisite for even being in a position of having expectations because it's important to lay the foundation and the groundwork both for ourselves as individuals, as athletes, and as as a coach, what I have to set up for my athletes. And so in framing this discussion, we decided we needed to get just make it really clear what we mean by responsibility. I talked about this a little bit in, my, in one of the earlier episodes on self-coaching. And in that episode, I talked about responsibility and radical responsibility. But I've come to kind of step back a little bit over the last few months about what I mean by radical responsibility. And I don't mean that I've changed my definition of what I think responsibility is. It's that I don't feel the need for that qualifier of radical anymore. I think I've begun to realize it just seemed radical in the context of um, most people I was dealing with. But really, it's just a fundamental nature of responsibility. So let's talk about kind of, we have kind of like three different levels of responsibility, Kristen. Um, why don't you give us a few of them? Okay, so you are responsible for what you do is the first one. And I think almost everybody can agree that that's, uh, that is the definition, the sort of the world working definition of responsibility, that you're right, responsible like for everything like you do. That's like the social contract of responsibility. Everybody should be on, if you're not there, then you might need to coach, you might need to either check into an insane asylum or we'll be seeing you in jail, right? Like pretty much. Yeah. Is that a little radical? Well, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I have my own like socialist views on responsibility and sort of politics, but we well, do you want to go in, Do you want to go into that right now? <laughs> Maybe not on this podcast. Okay. Okay. Number Can two. Can you at least give us a teaser? No. Okay. All right. Not the time. Not the time. Okay. Uh, number two, you're responsible for what you don't do. Which... This one's a little bit more um, out there. I, I don't mean it just, I think most people they'll recognize that this is true about responsibility, but they might not like it. Yeah. Right? Okay. And the third one, which is my favorite, you are responsible for everything that happens to you. 
Yeah. And I feel like that's the one that would be considered more out there, right? Because what we're saying, this is sort of where radical responsibility could come into play somewhat. We're not necessarily, um, fault is different than responsibility, right? Because we're saying you're responsible for how you respond to a thing that happens to you. Yeah, ultimately, even though you may not have caused the action to occur, you might not have been the actor. You are still having to act based on the thing that happened. I'd like to use the example of an accident. You know, there's when someone has a car accident, they're either responsible for what they do. If they run into a person, everybody will say, okay, you ran into that person. There's some responsibility. You're also responsible for what you don't do. So if you were in that scenario and you didn't put your blinker on or you didn't look to your left as you into your blind spot as you turned left into a lane of traffic and you hit someone, there's something you didn't do, but you're still held responsible for it. However, we're stating, saying that even if you were the one who got run into, you're responsible. Now, you might not be responsible by the law, but you're responsible in the fact that you're going to have to get your car fixed. You're going to have to deal with your insurance. You're going to have to deal with the other person's insurance. And this is where much of our anger and frustration comes in our social contracts. And it is definitely the place that I feel like most athletes that I work with um, have a real challenge here, that they will not take responsibility for the fact that many of them will take responsibility and they want, they expect to get some kind of return on any work they do. Um, they don't expect to have a negative result for the work they don't do. That's an unreasonable expectation. And finally, anything that happens in the race Anything that happens in training that's not optimal or ideal, let's say a challenging course or bad weather, or they don't even want to be responsible for that. They think it's unfair. And it's just, sorry, folks, this is the level playing field that everyone's operating from. And you will significantly limit the amount of cognitive dissonance and the amount of challenge and the amount of negative aspect if you'll just accept these three basic definitions of responsibility. Accept them and then do your very best to prepare for them, right? Especially when we're talking about the things that happen to you. Um, it's really easy to be blindsided by shit you didn't train for. However, if you train for every possible scenario, you are taking responsibility for the things that could potentially happen to you, whether it's, you know, the soul comes out of your shoe in a race or... A la Kipchoge. Yeah, or... <laughs> I just, I mean, any number of things, all of the fucking maniac, maniacal shit that can happen to us on race day, we should prepare for that in training. And by not, we are abdicating our responsibility for what happens to us on that day. And it's easy. I don't know. We talked a little bit this morning about self-sabotage, which we won't go into today. But I think that's one of the ways we do self-sabotage is that we don't plan for and prepare for all of those sort of outlier events that could happen. Yeah, I like to, in this scenario, I like to say these three basic things. So you got to wake up, you got to show up, and you have to grow up. Many people have heard that, right? But in your training, you need, this is the sort of level of responsibility I'm talking about. You need to show up and do your work and get the things done that need to get done. You need to wake up to the fact that, that you're going to be held accountable and responsible for those things. And you need to grow up and lean into that and fully take on that responsibility. If you don't risk, you can't be rewarded. If you don't fail, you can't succeed. And this is just the fundamental place that we have to come from. So some of, and the reason we needed to talk about that and spend 10 minutes talking about that 
in this first part of this episode is that this is this this is where we're coming from. So if you don't agree and refuse to take those levels of responsibility, you can just stop the recording and move on to your next favorite recording because we're going to be having this entire conversation with that in mind. And if you don't accept it, then I'm not sure how you're going to have the kind of experience um, in training or on race day that's really going to be helpful. And listen, I'll tell you, I think that we're we're now at 50, 50, 50% of the people who are listening to this podcast may not actually be in the position where they're willing to take that radical responsibility. And if you're not, then I think you need to check that. And and you, anything we say from now on may make you grumpy. But I don't think it'll make anybody grumpy, what we're going to say after this. Man, I'm all about you making people grumpy. <laughs> Pushing those edges, helping people grow. I mean, don't do that to me. Yeah, right. But like everybody else is good. So let's talk about we got we kind of picked three or four different what we would call unreasonable expectations, right? Or what we thought people were being unreasonable about and what we have ourselves been. Um Yeah, I feel like this first one is sort of your your jam, your pet peeve. Yeah, it is. So you expect training and racing to be a linear progression. Like the perfect financial growth model map a perfect 45 degree angle going from I just started running to I just broke two hours for the marathon yeah not everybody's that ridiculous but it does feel to me so often that athletes just think that if they put x amount of work in they're going to get a return and that the workload that they put in is going to create that return and it will but it won't in the way you think it's going to and you need to accept that. You need to stop expecting that you will have a direct correlation of work to results. You can expect that if you're willing to step back and give yourself a five-year, 10-year long view. If you'll take a longer, wider view. And I think and then you will see that. You could step out far enough from that graph and it will look like a 45-degree angle of, of improvement. But as you get closer and closer and closer to it, you're going to see little ups and little downs, little ups and little downs. And each one of those little ups feels like a huge up. And each one of those little downs feels like a huge down. So you're saying we put too much importance on any one particular race in our big sort of four-year plan. Yes. I'd say, so what I would say first is that people are afraid to fail. So I, I think that that's a first place to start. That's where I would go first is say, well, we'll get to that point that you just mentioned in a second. But the first thing is that people need to recognize failure is absolutely essential for growing. Mm. If they don't understand that failure is essential to growing, then they're going to have a really hard time. How? But how, I mean, just playing devil, devil's advocate here, How? how is that so? How do you view failure as necessary to growth? Well, it's the only way we learn. I mean, let me ask somebody, how many times have you learned something about yourself when you succeeded in your race? How many times after you succeeded in your race did you go back to the drawing board and say, what did I do well and what did I do poorly? Nearly no one does that. Almost everyone, after they have a success, they sit on their laurels, they feel like they've earned it, they feel like they deserved it, and they expected it. 
right? Instead of saying, wow, I did all this work and I kind of got lucky that that happened. And I don't know that luck is actually in play there. That Somebody could really argue with me about the use of that language. But what I would say is that that good result is a combination of a variety of different things all culminating at the same time. Your fitness, the course, a lot of different things happening all at the same time. And that great success is something you should look back on and say, what can I learn from it? But I can tell you this, every single person who continues to train and stay focused on running goals, who fails, learns and they grow. Yeah, but I I think I would put that more, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. I just think it's framed best in my mind for me to wrap my head around it is failure as it relates to failure versus quitting right because when you say you learn from failure it's like oh yeah whatever okay I've heard that a million times but when you think about it in the context of training and any particular workout or race it is better to fail than to quit right you're pushing those edges you're you're refusing to give up on your pursuit of a thing and it is better to run to failure in a workout than to quit it because you're afraid to fail. Would you say that's accurate from a coach's perspective or am I being too like beat my chest and get too excited about like we don't quit, we just die on pace or whatever? Well, I mean, we, we we had a whole episode where we talked about not quitting I even think quitting is something is an opportunity for growth because if you don't, the the ultimate thing that's quitting is not coming back and starting all over again, not willing to get back out and do the work. Mm -hmm. So if you're willing to look at everything, even the things that you do that aren't successful and by, I mean, failure maybe is too big a word here. Maybe that's the thing that you're balking at is the use of the word failure rather than somebody who shot for a three Oh five goal time in a race um, but they ran 307 and it was a 10 minute PR. You know, a lot of people feel like that's a failure. Mm. A, a lot of people. I, I would say the lion's share of people, when they set a goal, they, even if it's a big stretch goal, they very rarely feel like they got anything out of it and they don't look at it as a learning experience. They don't look at it as they see it as an ultimate failure. And so I'll lean into the use of that word because that's how someone's experience of it is. And more importantly, though, is did they learn from it? And what did they learn from it? And, I mean, that's the entire reason I think that people, it's the whole purpose we're even doing this as an endeavor. Why The whole reason why training and racing should even happen at all for people is that they're trying to be a better human being. And this is the way that they do that. And I think that that expectation that you're going to see some long-term, linear, perfect progression towards your goal is just... Number one, a fallacy. And I think anybody could step back a step and say, I understand that logically, but it's not what they're feeling. And I think if people could experience a little bit more that this is all about learning, then they don't have to have that strong negative reaction to failure. Failure doesn't have to be about quitting or not quitting. It doesn't have to be about anything like that. It's just, I had an objective. I I strove to get that objective. And I missed out on it. And why did I miss out on it? And are there things I could have done in that moment? Are there things I should have done in training? And what are those steps? And what do I need to do? Instead of it being, instead of it saying, oh, I just have to see this progression or else I'm not going to be where I need to be. Yeah, I think that's where, um, where one, a statement of purpose or your why really comes into play, right? Because um, 
you have to love doing the work more than you love getting the result, right? You have to love, like, I don't understand sometimes when people are like, oh my God, we're only at this mile or whatever in a race or in a, just a run or a workout. And it's like, and I don't know, maybe this is, this is me sort of projecting my own views on running onto everybody of running onto everybody else. But I think like, do you not love doing the work? I mean, none of us love eating shit sandwiches, right? Nobody likes that taste, but the doing of the work has to be a worthwhile pursuit, right? Well, I, I do. Yes, of course. I would say yes, of course. Um, I also sort of think of, I've come to really change the way I look at purpose from the standpoint of why people run. Um, but that's saved for another episode. We don't need to go down the road there too much. But yes, generally, yes, people should have that experience. But I don't know that that's what they're feeling when they look at their goals and when they look at their each year or they look at each season as they're going through. I don't think they're going into that training with an expectation of failing. Uh, with an expectation of learning from it no, or from an expectation of even that it's going to be fun and enjoyable. But that's where responsibility comes into play, I think, is that yeah, you say would, you are responsible for understanding this is the contract that you sign when you come into this training cycle. You like you have to you have to look at it that way. I mean, we all get caught up in it. I do. I mean, how many times do I tell you? I need to step back and look at it this way. I need to step back and remember that I love doing this, even though it feels like I'm eating shit sandwich after shit sandwich and, you know, you question your resolve. We all do that. But at the end of the day, we're here because we love it. And I think it, it's our responsibility to step back and look at that and to see, like you said, it doesn't necessarily look like a linear progression up close, but if you did step back and look at it, from the 10-year view, perhaps it does. Yeah, because you will have stopped, right? And that's kind of your point, that you will stop if you don't. And somebody who doesn't see a long-term linear progression will be is because they stopped too early. And that'll be they stopped because they got hurt, or they stopped because it stopped being fun or enjoyable, or they stopped because um, they found some other things to do, right? right? Because here's the thing. The fundamentals of fitness are absolutely clear. If you... Put in a little bit of work. If you do work and you recover, you will improve. If you do work and you recover, you will improve. And we'll talk more about what kind of work people can do um, in future episodes. But basically, you will get better as long as you don't have some kind of major psychological issue or major, um, you know, purpose void that needs to be addressed. Mm. Um, but yeah, I would say so. But this sort of leads me into the next thing that's been really a mantra I have been preaching a lot lately, something that I just have noticed. And actually, I noticed it in working with you. Uh, we, went, we were doing a, a workout a couple months ago. Don't and call me out. I'm calling you out. <laughs> we were doing 800-meter repeats, and we were trying to do them at and around our 10K pace. And consistently in the workout, I would feel you pushing harder and doing more work and pressing um, and I couldn't figure out exactly why. And later, and it brought up this idea, and, and I didn't even really reference it with you until the workout was all the way over. And I think you may have even told me afterwards that I was incorrect in my assessment. And so, but, it, but doing this workout made me realize this is happening a lot. And that's this point, that training is always about gaining fitness and not 
improving fitness. And in that workout, I was incorrect in my assessment that that's what you were trying to do. You were just trying to work hard, and the pace was a challenge. And you wanted to stay on pace that we had that I had given you because that was the objective that your coach had set. And so you wanted to do what you had been set out to you. But frequently what I see people doing a lot is getting out and doing workouts in such a way that they're focused on it proving where their current fitness is. That's not what training's about. It's not about it at all. And if it is about that, then you're either going to overtrain or you're going to, which is very likely, or you'll get hurt because you're pressing too hard, or you'll fail on race day because there's too much pressure now on every single thing being about that linear progression, about that long-term looking like it looks good. And instead, people, we stress the body so that it will respond and give us a better result down the line. We are not stressing the body to prove that where we are. We're stressing the body to gain more for later on. And I think this is if some pe- if people could use this as a mantra for their training consistently, I think it can be a real game changer. It certainly takes the pressure off of um, nailing every single workout. Well, and I think that too goes back to our last point of you're putting too much pressure on the goal and not the process. You talk a lot about process-oriented goals. And I think when we put the pressure on proving our fitness, it's like every day is an opportunity for us to show that we're ready to run 3.30 or 2.30 or whatever it is. And it takes, I know for me, when I do that, it takes the enjoyment out of, out of the process because I'm either sucking ass or not learn or not learning anything, right? I'm just proving what I can do and that's not making me better. Well, and in, it's easy for us to forget that. Sure. Because we're, um, if, if we're in the moment and having good workouts, then we don't even reference it. The real problem is when we're having bad workouts. We should be referencing that mantra all the time. Remember, I'm gaining fitness, not proving fitness. But when, the sh- when you are failing in a workout, it allows you to step back a step and say, it's okay. I'm not hitting exactly my marathon goal pace in this section, or I'm not hitting my 5K pace on this section. Listen, folks, I hate to tell you this, but it doesn't matter. Training is a lot more about a continuum of paces. I've talked many times about checking boxes off from an energy system perspective, and there is some value to that, and there's some benefit to doing things at different paces and getting benefit from that. But please recognize that any time that you're running anything from easy pace all the way to all out, you're getting some kind of fitness from that. Everything is training, people. Everything is training. And you're getting a benefit from that no matter what. So take the foot off, your own foot off your own neck for a second and give yourself some, some grace. When you're failing in a workout, you're still getting good work in. You're still getting fitter. Every step is getting you closer to your goal even if it's not directly in the energy system box that is designated for that workout. Take a break. Take a deep breath. Continue to work. And as Kristen said, find the pleasure in the process of doing it and learn from it because that's what the whole point is. And I, but here's the thing. People also think they're proving fitness when they nail workouts. And they think they just proved because they did eight times. Let's say this is a workout that I just 
everyone will know I'm on a rant right now because I'm going to talk about doing a Yasso. Yasso's tell you fucking absolutely nothing at all, but they are training. You are gaining fitness when you do a Yasso. But if you're going to do Yasso's, which are basically 800 meter reps at your marathon goal time. So if you're going to run a want to run a three hour marathon, you would run your 800 meter rep in three minutes. If you had a three hour marathon, we wanted to run a three hour and 30 minute marathon, you would run your 800 meter rep in three minutes and 30 seconds, right? That's what a Yasso is, just in case somebody listening doesn't know that. But Yasso's are absolutely non-indicative of anything other than you can run 800 meters in three minutes and 30 seconds. Now it's training, it's providing you something. But if you think that you just proved that you're ready to run a three-hour and 30-minute marathon because you ran a three-minute and 30-second 800-meter dash, I hate to tell you, but you are in for a whole new lesson about what it's all about. And as I say all the time, the marathon wins. The marathon always wins. And I guarantee you it's going to win on somebody who's doing just yassos. So it can play both ways. It can be that opportunity to give yourself grace, but it can also be this other side of, hey, just because you nailed a workout doesn't mean that you're going to nail it on race day. Because racing doesn't always show our current fitness, Kristen. It doesn't. There are, there are so many other factors that go into what happens on race day. Yeah, I mean, what happened... When you woke up, how did you eat? What was your tummy doing? What was the weather like? What was, what happened in your family the week before? It doesn't. Did your experience at the Boston Marathon in 2000, what was that, 17? Oh my God. Was it any less of a, of a, of a great race? I mean, you ran an incredibly great race. 2000, I think it was 2017, right? That the year where there was sideways rain, very cold, it was a ter- it was a really really tough day, but someone who walks away from that experience are they going to say on that uh, on that day that 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 they're not on a linear progression and that they suck and that they're terrible? I hope not. Right. You know there there are so many different conditions and circumstances. Or hot days, and you run a three hour race when you were in two fifty shape. Like it. Yeah. I had I had an athlete this weekend who was absolutely ready to go sub one thirty for a half marathon. I'm absolutely convinced that she was absolutely ready to do it. But guess what? She woke up that morning, got out, got ready to do her run. Everything was perfect. Everything was set up. Somewhere between mile three and mile four, she's, her period. She st- had her period right in the middle of a race. And guess what? She had to walk for part of it. She, had to, she still finished. And she finished in a time that she was happy with. But it was no way she got – she was pretty significantly far off of what her goal time was. Now, I know she was really grumpy about it. Because she responded to me. But after a day or two, she began to realize, it's like, do we get back on the horse and go after another race to prove where we're at and to show where we're at? Or do you just suck it up buttercup and move on and say, hey, sometimes this stuff happens? Yeah, I think for the most part, most people can look at different scenarios and go, yeah, that race didn't didn't prove shit, but I still brought my best or I still, you know, I still did the best that I could. I still checked all my boxes and training to the best of my ability. I think that's when you take responsibility for your training plan and the way you show up present and ready on race day, right? And you hope for the best. And you, I don't know, what is that saying? Like you hope for the best, but prepare for the worst, Mm -hmm. right? Like don't expect that it's all just going to play out like a beautiful 
hand in poker. That's not the way that this works. Well, and there's also races that we choose to do that are not optimal. It seems like everybody wants to line up and get on a starting line to get a PR, to show, show that linear progression. Should we talk about downhill races for Greg Mackin? <laughs> no, let's leave it alone. Okay. Let's leave it alone. But because I want to say that people still know the value of the Boston Marathon. You know, I had an athlete who I worked with many years ago who went back to Boston 10 years in a row because all she wanted to do was PR at Boston. That meant that much to her. That course is so tough and so challenging and she weather conditions and so many things that would go differently. She tried for 10 years to get a BQ. I mean, to get a, to, she would qualify each year for Boston, but she wanted to PR on that course. Now, that's a path with heart to me. Like, that's really, really cool. The funny thing is she stopped running after that for a while. She's got back to doing it again, but it took that, you know, that's something that says, you know, her, her, she had a lot of days that would not have matched well on a linear progression chart at Boston. <laughs> many, many races that she got back to Boston, but it wasn't enough. She wanted to have a, she wanted to run her best time of her life on that particular course, come what may, whatever the weather conditions are. And I think that that's absolutely beautiful and something that's important for our experience of training and racing. It, we need to put ourselves in those kinds of situations and not just chase down this linear progression. I kind of have a random thought that we haven't discussed, but I'm going to sort of deviate from our topic just a little bit and say that I think it's in this way that we have a lot to learn from um, people who've been running for a very long time and people who's people who have been running for so long, in fact, that they know for certain their best times as far as a number on a clock are behind them because they are in a position where they've had to one, really run with their heart and run the best day, the best race on that day, and never mind PRs or anything like that, right? I feel like we have a lot to learn from from people who have come to that place in their running. I don't know. Maybe that's another podcast episode. I actually but think that there's a lot of people who do that, whether they're experienced runners or not. I think that's a frame that people will bring to it. I don't it. think there's a lot of people who do that. I I mean I'm not saying We're there's all a lot. We're super type A and but I think that there are I I I've, I've been coaching a long time Kristen. So I do see people who show up and say I don't care about that. I really just want to see what I'm capable of. Mm. And they don't get wrapped up in that. But you're right, they're rare. Um and the more experience you have, the more you realize that that linear progression is not going to be consistent. And so you might as well go through and enjoy it. And I think too um you know, there's just these these iconic events. Like we have two here in Austin that are absolutely fantastic races. We just had one called Run for the Water, which runs through the hilliest part of town. Um, and we have another one in the Cap 10K, which is absolutely not a PR course, yet people continue to race it and run it every year because they know, number one, they're a part of a bigger picture of all the people that are running those races. And, and the Run for the Water, it's for an incredible charity and so people really get behind it for that reason and cap 10k it's like everybody in our community runs it and so it's a cool thing for that reason but um yeah i'm not really arguing with you i do think that the more experience a person has the more likely they are to um have a nuanced approach to races and racing no matter what okay let's go on to our next expectation. are you grumpy with me i'm always grumpy with you <laughs> So our second, so the first, you know, 
not so great expectation was that you'll see you're running in a linear progression. And then the second one we want to talk about is um, people expect or you expect a race or workout not to hurt. Um, and I just, I just know that this is uh, something that people have a real big challenge with, whether they're beginner runners or whether they're the most advanced runner. And I think if athletes will recognize from the outset that any day that they don't have that's a hard, challenging workout day that doesn't hurt is a gift. And, and, and you probably should have gone harder. It Maybe. I mean, I do know that I, I do know there's a there's another adage of training that says you don't want to be all out, but it should hurt, right? You it, it 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 should hurt, and there are days where we'll just have those magical days where everything lines up and it's perfect, where you might not want to have buried yourself just because you could have. Right. But I I agree that you, if most more often than not, if you didn't push hard, if it's not hurting, then you should be asking a question. Yeah, I feel like this this one was really close to my heart, especially the. Mm, a week ago or so where I helped a buddy out in um, in racing a half marathon and immediately when we were done he said something like I should have gone a little bit easier on the hills or something I could have pulled back a little bit more and I'm like it really pissed me off because it was just like what did you expect that to feel like you were looking for a number and we got better than that number that you were looking for because you pushed and you're okay. And so I think, I don't know that this was his mindset, but I think about it in general. And even for myself, when I, like right now I'm in a place where I'm trying to come back to fitness and I get really grumpy and frustrated because it hurts when it didn't used to. And I, wa I expect it not to hurt. And that's unrealistic. And it's, but it's you. It's ubiquitous. It happens to everyone all the time, and it sure. happens even in the most. For, it happens to all of us at some point, and we've got to stay and remember that expectation is unreasonable, and it should not even be in our parlance. And we'll fall back on it, like you said. You, they, we have these. A lot of times we fall back on it, but I have a great quote that I heard recently, um, and it's from the great Greg LeMond, the Tour de France winner from the, the U.S. Um, he says, it never gets easier. You just get faster. Mm. And and that's what training is. Like, I'm sorry, but if you've decided to be a competitive athlete, no matter what your pace, whether you're a five-hour marathoner or a two-hour and 30-minute marathoner, whether you're a 10-minute, whether you're a 15-minute a, a 5K runner or you're a 25-minute 5K runner, Greg's point is well taken. As it never gets easier. It should never get easier. You should just be faster. And if you can frame that correctly, if you can get that set in your head, um, it'll make it a lot easier to handle those hard days. But the And I think that a lot of people are okay with this idea of it hurting in practice. But the place I find this most frustrating and the place that makes me just want to throttle people is when they expect it not to hurt in a race. And they have this idea that somehow they've earned the right through their training that that training has already, as I said before, proved that they're at that fitness level. And so they think because they did those repetitions that that means that they're going to be ready to race. It is not the case. 
the race is a referendum on your fitness, and it's time to prove it out on race day. You didn't prove it in the workout. You prove it on race day with your peers, against other people, against the clock, against the course. That's where it has to happen. And you, you need to do that on race day. And I think the real problem comes here is that people, um, they don't recognize training as being pushing the edge. Yeah. They, they don't recognize it as they're in a comfort zone. They don't see themselves as taking it easy on themselves. You mean they, that's what they want to do, is take it easy on themselves. They don't see that that's what they're doing. Mm. And they need to know, as you said, if it's easy, check it. Check yourself. Why is it easy? Is it easy because you're just having a phenomenal and crazy amazing day because it's 55 degrees outside and the sun is shining and there's no humidity and you have no wind and you're having a perfect amazing day? Or is it because um or is it because you're just not going hard enough or you're or you're not challenging yourself enough? Because if you're not ready for those days, if you're not doing that in training, then when you get into the race, you're going to constantly and consistently think that it's going to be too easy. Yeah, I feel like that's that also goes back to our our episode on not quitting and is relevant to pushing the edge is sort of you've got to practice that in every workout. You've there are so many there are so many excuses that can pop up on workout day of why you can't push the edge or why it feels too hard. And I think it's super relevant to all of us, and I'm so guilty of it lately. Is it too hard or am I just afraid, right? Like, Mm -hmm. is it too hard or am I afraid of leaving this comfort zone because I might fail? Like, that's an existential fucking question. And can be asked in every aspect of our lives. Right, because if we answer yes to it in running, it probably rings true in our workspace, in our family space. We all do that, right? We all get, we all want to stay in this little bubble because we're just afraid of, of moving. We talked about that today, right? Like we freeze. We're afraid of moving. We're afraid of failing. We're afraid of, I don't know. We're just afraid of fucking it up, I guess. I don't know. Well, I do think there's another piece to this that that is a space of grace for everyone is that we're designed, our bodies want to go back to homeostasis. They want to go to a place where anytime something gets pushed outside of a boundary of normal, the body wants to bring it back. It wants to find it in a place because that's where it's safe. And our jaw, and so it's, it's normal and natural to be in that spot. It's not a fault, it's not a faulty mechanism in the hum- in that human being or that person is that they need to guard against being in a homeostasis when they're trying to gain fitness <laughs> like or they're they can't be in a space of homeostasis if they want to achieve a, a pretty challenging goal on a race day that um and i find this especially um with folks who are in races that when they get to the halfway point um they're hoping that it will be easy or as easy as possible so they won't have to hurt. And I think that's just a wrong way to frame it. They think that if they are in this, if they get into pain um, at the 13.1 mile mark of a marathon or 3.1 mile mark of a 10K, that 
they're not going to be able to make it to the finish. Well, if they if they if they don't know that, then they needed to have done something about that well in advance from a training perspective. They're trained and should have trained to be able to handle distress, to be able to handle not feeling good, to be able to handle getting the race done. And our attachment to this idea of feeling good is anathema to what it means to be racing, in my opinion. If it is feeling good, then that's a blessing. That's a gift. It's not an expectation. It's a gift. Expect it to hurt. Expect it to hurt from the get-go. Now, what does that mean is, because what I've seen, and I don't, I don't mean for a marathoner that they should be running on the edge at the 5K mark of a marathon. That would be foolish, right? Um, they should have a plan and a plan of attack and have followed a, a, a strategy to get them to the finish line in the time that they want to run. But it doesn't mean that it's going to feel a certain way. And they're not guaranteed that. And to expect it is to let, put themselves in a really challenging spot and, and, and an unreasonable place. It's an unreasonable expectation. So expect it to hurt, expect to push past it, and expect to love it is how this can all be wrapped up. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, or, yes, absolutely. And and understand that ultimately you're in this for... You're, you're in this for whatever reason you're in it. I don't want to put... I have a... I've, gotten to the point where I believe fundamentally that people, most people are running for the same reason. But you're not running and racing for an expectation. You're running and racing to find out what you're made of. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that appropriately, then come what may. If you're doing that with that attitude and that approach, then it's all about forward progression and growth and learning more about yourself and more about what it means to be your particular human self in this particular body, given these particular circumstances on this given day. That's a, that's a really fundamental shift. It's an empowering, um, dare I say, nearly spiritual way of kind of looking at it. It's certainly at least a way of looking at your experience as valuable. When you come in with an expectation, it's likely with the sport that we're in to be a dashed and unreasonable expectation. You should come in with an open door, with an open experience, and ready to deal with whatever might come up and hopefully be prepared for that. And if not, then you'll go back to the broad drawing board, get yourself back into a place of training, and you'll take another stab at it. Almost everybody will. Certainly everybody listening to this podcast, I would expect they're looking at growing. They're looking at becoming a better runner. But recognize that that growth is also about being the best human being you can be, not just the best runner of 26.2 miles or runner of 13.1 miles or whatever your race goal is. That it's, there's a bigger game that you're playing. I don't even know what else to say after that. I feel like what you just said was really profound and and really didn't have anything to do with this episode, but <laughs> but had everything to do with the episode, right? You said you talked about a universal why, a univer- a universal purpose for why we run, which was that to see what we're made of. And I've often had a problem with people's why being external, right? I run for my kids or I run for whatever, right? Because 
none of, when you test that, if you run to prove something to somebody else, it can all be overpowered by emotions or feelings. Your kids already know how strong you are. Your husband already knows how strong you are. You already know how strong you are. But when you're running to see something in you, you're const- that goal is constantly moving. And so I kind of feel like when you said that, like it really shook me. And I didn't, I don't know, I wasn't really expecting you to say that. And I want you to talk more about it. Because it, that statement alone makes all of this irrelevant. Almost. I don't know. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. And I do think that this has been a evolution in my... I've been spending a lot of time on purpose lately in my own life. And I have just begun to realize how essential it is for each and every one of us to come to this position on our own. So it's easy for me to say there's some sort of universal why for people that run. And I'm it really moves me that that moved you in that way because it means that I am on to something. And I don't want to say that there absolutely is this, but I do want to say that something I'm really exploring and probably will be exploring on future episodes of this podcast because this, first of all, the podcast's name is running on purpose. And number two, we really haven't gotten deep into this topic. It's a topic um, I've covered on a, on the other podcast I was on but I've changed the way I view this, um, not in its essence, but certainly in the way that we might wrestle with this question and wrestle with um, why we have expectations and why those expectations may or may not be correct. Um, but yeah, I think we are all really here to learn. And if we're learning, then it's other people's standards that might make us feel inadequate, not our own. And so I think we all need to check these expectations that we have and to check our responsibility. What are we willing to take responsibility for and how far are we willing to go with that? And once we've taken that responsibility, wherever that places each and every individual, then they can look at how they will frame their training expectations and their racing expectations. We've given you at least two major unreasonable expectations that we feel. There's um, many more, I'm certain. But these ones kind of covered a lot of bases, and hopefully they're valuable to you, and hopefully you learned a little bit from this episode. But Kristen, yeah, I think there's a lot more to unpack when it comes to purpose. And maybe finally, after seven episodes, we're ready to start doing that. Yeah, I mean, I kind of just want to sit here and, and talk about purpose now. <laughs> <laughs> Let's save it for next week. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you're uh, new to us, you can find um, us on any uh, place you find your podcasts. We, you can, if you have, insights or questions or a response um, to what we're talking about, you can reach us at Sisson, S-I-S-S-O-N, at tellusrunning.com. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love for you to uh, 
check out our website. We'll be doing a redesign soon and having some new exciting programming that's going to be coming out. I'm a coach. You can be coached by me if, if you're interested. There's a variety of different ways to do that. And uh, yeah, keep running, folks. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. There's, a, there's something really beautiful and magical about this sport and the way that it challenges us and the way that it pushes us. And um, there's nothing quite like it. So thanks for listening to this point, and we'll catch you next week or whenever we decide to record our next podcast <laughs> episode since we're not necessarily always the most timely. And thanks to everyone who actually... Um, I got a, a, lot, a number of good responses to uh, the interview I did with Lenny. Um, two weeks ago. That was a fantastic conversation and a lot of fun. And um, thanks for your feedback about it. All right. Until next time, Godspeed.